Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We hope your time with us is enjoyable. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, that's in the New Testament, second book into the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 34. I mean, 35 through 39. Did you guys catch that? Okay. 35 to 34. You're going to go back. No. 35 to 39. This is our crazy busy teaching series going from burnout to balance. We're titled, uh, we've titled this weekend's message, First Things First. When I was on the fire department, uh, I remember trying to be able to catch a constant man shift once in a while because it kind of added to the uh, resources, our financial resources as a family. It was a overtime shift. The only problem was that you'd have to work a You'd work your 24-hour shift and then another 24-hour shift, so that would take you away from the family for about 48 hours. I remember a co-worker one time, I was asking him if he had ever worked the uh, constant man shifts because it, it was pretty popular. A lot of guys would do it. A lot of guys and gals would do it. But uh, remember the, the response of this guy when I asked him if he ever worked a constant man shift, and he said to me, uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't work those. And I go, why is that? And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said... You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And my time is really valuable to me. And I would prefer to spend it out. And at that time, he, it was before he actually had a family. He did a lot of backpacking and hiking and went out in the wilderness and, and used his time for that. And, and that, when he said that, I mean, that just stuck with me. And it really goes along with what we're talking about here today. We don't expect to buy whatever we want to buy because we know that there's a limit to our money. But somehow we live as if time has no limits when in fact time is much more limited than money. We can always make more money, but we can never make more time. No matter how high the demand, the supply will never go up for time. Unlike money, time cannot be stored, and yesterday's time is gone forever and will never come back. Time is one of our most precious resources. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians five fifteen through 17, Be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, the writer here is saying, uh, make, make every moment count. Make your life count. Carpe diem, seize the day. First things first. Psalm 90.12 puts it this way. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So... If you're going to go from burnout to balance, you must do first things first because you can't do it all and time is running out. That's where we're headed. That's kind of the thesis statement of what we're looking at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we're going to dive into our text and unpack these notes. Father God, we were, we were made to enjoy the riches of your glory. And yet our crazy busy lifestyles can, can work against us. Help us to be still and know that you are God, as it tells us in Psalm 46.10. As we have worshipped you in song, and now as we worship you in the study of your word, help us to step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at you, our glorious and beautiful God. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, making the most of every opportunity by putting first things first for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So take a look at this text. This is quite an interesting text. Now, now the context is Jesus has just finished perhaps the busiest ministry day ever. And uh, so you would think that... uh, he would be sleeping in. I mean, that's typically what I would do if I, if I had put in a pretty heavy day. I'd want to kind of sleep in. But check this out, starting in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. You hear the urgency there? A little bit of panic. Jesus, what are you doing out here? Come on. Everyone's looking for you. Verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, how do you put first things first? Let me give you four big big ideas. We'll work through our notes here. And uh, here's the first one that we learn from Jesus' life. Your public life will only be as strong as your private life. That's the first first statement. And, uh, and you'll notice verse 35, we go back. We'll keep referring back to the text. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to, notice this, a desolate place. So he's just, he's getting out to a place where there's no distractions, no noise, just him and the father all by themselves. Luke five sixteen tells us this about Jesus, that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, so this, this seems to be a pattern of Jesus' life. It, he, it was a habit. It was a practice. It was a discipline of his life. And in fact, the disciples were so intrigued by, by Jesus' prayer life that we see in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to connect with the Father as we've seen you connect with the Father. And so in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, we've got an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. If you want the fuller version, you'll have to turn to Matthew 6, 9 through 13. But in that abbreviated version that represents Matthew 6, 9 through 13, what you find in, in the Lord's Prayer, how many have memorized the Lord's Prayer? It's a great pattern for prayer. I use it consistently, if not daily, as I kind of work through it as, as kind of a punch list of items of things to, to deal with in my own life, starting with my father, daddy. And I think through the implications of that, hallowed be your name. I think through the implications of his character. God, you're sovereign, you're wise, you're all-knowing. You love me with an everlasting love. And so as you kind of work through this, and this is what you find interesting about the Lord's Prayer, and I believe this was true about Jesus' prayer life, is that it was more about adoration than it was about petition. You know the difference? Adoration, petition. It was more about Jesus bringing his love to the Father than Jesus bringing his list. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing your list, and there's a part of that in the Lord's Prayer that talks about that. As you're bringing your, your petitions and your intercessions, you're interceding, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're praying for others, and then give us today our daily bread. That's a part of bringing your own needs to God. So that would be like bringing your list to God. But, but one of the things that you under, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's more about adoration. It's more about bringing your love to God. There's this deep connection. It's more about that than it is about bringing, bringing your list In fact, adoration is plunging yourself into the fullness of the reality of God, not just intellectually, but existentially until your heart is strengthened and satisfied by His goodness and greatness, by His beauty and glory. There's something that happens in in that interaction that, that, believe it or not, you can't live without. You are in desperate need of. It's a very high view of God. I like what George Mueller said. He was talking about before he goes out for any day, and I think it's a good pattern for all of us. He says, before you go out and do anything, before he went out and did anything, this is what he said. I must have my heart happy in God or I will be of no use to anybody. I'll use them and try to get them to satisfy my cravings and my vacancies. That's a great word. Did you hear what he's saying? If I don't have my heart happy in God, the first thing, I'm going to go out into life 
operating from a deficit rather than the abundance that ultimately only God can give to me. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. After the busiest, the busiest ministry day of his life, he gets up early while it was still dark and goes off to a desolate place and connects with the Father. Why? To refuel him, to refresh him, to recharge him. That's a great pattern. In fact, your public life will only be as strong as your private prayer life. So let me ask you this. How's your private prayer life? Maybe you didn't see it quite like that. Maybe you saw it more as just kind of bringing your list. And that's important. That's certainly part of it. But it's much more than that. Oh, my goodness. When you understand who it is that you're having an audience with, that you're interacting with, that you're, you're, you're encountering in those quiet moments just between you and him. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing what can begin to transpire in your life and the difference it can make in your life. Here's the next point. Your private prayer life will help you to establish first things first. And that's really what we're looking at here today. And you get a little bit of an idea with Jesus. Let me go back to the text. And Simon, notice, so he goes out, he's praying. And then Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So, I mean, they're looking all over. Where's Jesus? They wake up, they're looking around. Jesus is nowhere to be found. They're looking all over. And then they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. You get that sense of urgency. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And that includes the temptation to be crazy busy or sinfully busy. When we say crazy busy, that's what we're talking about, just sinfully busy. Taking on more things than we need to take on. Or trying to do the things that we're supposed to take on in our own strength and power. That would be just crazy busy. We talked about that last weekend. But you'll notice on your notes I gave you some thoughts under this this point of first things first. So, So your private prayer life will help you to establish first things first. So here's the first point underneath that is that Jesus was busy but never in a way that made him frantic, anxious, irritable, proud, Envious or distracted by lesser things. Isn't that amazing? That sounds a whole lot like my life right there. Frantic, anxious, irritable, proud. I mean, sometimes when, when it's just out of control, it's just that's how I feel. That's what I'm experiencing. As I thought about that, Jesus never was freaked out. You don't see Jesus freaking out here. What, 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 what? People are waiting for me? No, he's just like, matter of fact, nah, well, I got to go on to other towns. Wait a minute, Jesus, people need you back here. No, I need to move on. No panic, no anxiety. I mean, it's amazing, really amazing. We too often feel and act like fatherless, futureless orphans, but in reality, as Christians, we've been lavished. We've been lavished with the Father's love and called His children, 1 John 3, 1. And so part of our prayer time is to drive that truth deep into our heart. And when we don't, when we're not living in the reality that we are lavished in His love and called His children, we will be frantic, anxious, Irritable, proud, envious, distracted by lesser things. That's why I believe Jesus was able to do what he did. is because he was so connected to the Father that his, his uh, emotional wealth was abundant. It just overflowed his life. Here's the next point on your notes. Jesus knew the difference between the urgent and the important. I mean, he understood that that all the good things that he could do were not necessarily the things that he ought to do. I mean, think about it. Jesus wasn't just turning down an opportunity to play in the community soccer league. I mean, he wasn't doing that. He said no to people who had diseases, diseases he could have healed instantly. And in Mark one thirty-seven, everyone is looking for you. And he turns them down. He moves on to the next. Sounds crazy, but he, he did. He did do that, even when everyone is looking for you. And they were trying to put that pressure on him, and he didn't take that pressure. Here's what I found, is that the more 
that you are intimate with God, the less you'll be intimidated by people, things, and circumstances. The more you are intimate with the God of the galaxies. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you had that sense of intimacy with God? I mean, you could see that if you get that close to God, you begin to know him like that, you're not going to be intimidated by people things, circumstances of your life. When you are, it's evident that maybe you need to get up close and personal with God. You need to know who it is that is for you and not against you, who walks through your day with you, who will never leave you or forsake you. That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. That's what the Bible says. That is amazing. Those are truths, man. When they go deep into your heart, it's just not something that you just, you know, they're intellectually coherent, but they're existentially compelling. They, they, they've, you've prayed them down deep into your heart. You've worshiped them deep into your heart. It makes a difference in how you respond to life. And you see that in Jesus's life. And then here's the, here's the third point. Jesus understood his God-given mission. So Jesus was busy, but never in a frantic, anxious way. Jesus knew the difference between the urgent and the important. But Jesus understood his God-given mission. He wasn't driven by the needs of others, though he often stopped to help hurting people. He wasn't driven by the approval of others, though he cared deeply for the lost and the broken. And uh, so let me ask you this. So what is your God-given mission? And, and so as you, if Jesus understood his God-given mission, he was able to make, you know, establish good boundaries and say no to things and say yes to the appropriate things, we have to ask ourselves a few questions as it relates to the mission. What is our God-given mission? What is your God-given mission as it relates to your singleness? Or to your marriage or to your parenting or to work or to play or to worship or life? God gives us a mission for each of these aspects of our life. It's found in God's word, God's will, God's mission, God's will is God's word. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. I think it's a part of your cross-references there. All scriptures, God breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God is fully equipped for every good work. So God's mission for your life can be found in God's word as it relates to the specific roles that you have in life. But I think it goes even beyond that. Ephesians 2.10, it tells us, for we are his workmanship. We are his, the word, the Greek word is poem. We get our word poem, poema, uh, craftsmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has, now think about this, God has uniquely shaped you. You are unique, one-of-a-kind original. So God has given you spiritual gifts, a heart, you know, certain passions for certain things in your life, abilities, certain special abilities, personality, um, life experiences, and God wants to use that to make an impact in people's lives that nobody else can touch. And so you're putting first things first would not only be consistent with what the Bible teaches as it relates to your role, but also your, your shape, your giftings. What God is doing. For instance, in my role here at Desert Breeze, I'm a leader, teacher. Uh, my gifting is evangelism, and so I pretty much stick with that. When it comes to a lot of the administration, I stay out of the way and let Scott do his job. Our executive pastor, and he does a fabulous job. You don't want me doing any administration whatsoever. Uh, I will mess things up. And so I, I pretty much know what to say no to and yes to. I, I, I keep in within my giftings, within my shape. Acts 13.36 also gives us some good insight. This is, it's an interesting uh, scripture. It says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Boy, that, that would be a good way to die. He's talking about death, but the Bible for us that are believers, it's like falling asleep. But he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. That we would serve the purpose of God. That's what Jesus came to do was to serve the purpose of God. And so your private prayer life will help you to establish first things first, which would be understanding your God-given mission. That's what we're unpacking. And so in, in a broader sense, so you've got certain roles that the Bible speaks to. You have certain giftings that you need to be able to uh, use in your life. But then in a, in a 
in a broader sense, in a general sense, your purpose for existence is ultimately to bring glory to God. And we walk you through this quite consistently and regularly. I'm, I'm taking a, a group through this right now in our Game of Life class, but it's the 5G process of full devotion to Jesus Christ. And that involves first G is someone who's just walking with God. Are you walking with God? That would be fulfilling your purpose of existence, that you would have a relationship with God. And the second G would be uh, you're living his word, spiritual disciplines, a growing Christian. Third G would be a giving Christian. So you're going to walk with God, live his word, contribute to his work. Are you contributing to his work? We'll talk more about that as we work through this. So if this is your church home, are you contributing with your your time, your talent, your treasure, your finances? That would be part of his purpose uh, for your life. And then the fourth G is a going Christian. So you're going to walk with God, live his word, contribute to his work, and want to make an impact in this world. Because as I said last week, once you've tasted the fellowship with God, oh my goodness, (laughs) there's nothing better. There's nothing better, nothing more soul-satisfying, life-liberating than, than fellowship with God. And, and as you walk in this relationship with him, you want everyone you care about to know that. That's that going Christian. That's wanting to make an impact in this world for Jesus Christ. And, of course, we do all of that motivated not out of fear and pride, but out of a heart smitten by the beauty and the glory of Christ of what he's done for us. And so and so that's, uh, that's that second point. So your public life will only be as strong as your private prayer life. Your private prayer life will help you to establish first things first. So hanging out with God, understanding what the scriptures teach, you're going to be able to kind of navigate through that. I mean, it's not, listen, this isn't a technique. This is a relationship with God. And as you get to know him and you understand his word and understand how he's wired you up, um, you're going to begin to live that out. You're going to be able to know what to say uh, no to and what to say yes to. There's a video clip I want to show you here. It's uh, from the movie uh, Dead Poets Society. How many have ever seen the movie Dead Poets Society? There's a scene in the movie Robin Williams is a brand new teacher. And uh, he's wanting to make a pretty strong point to this, uh, his class of young men. And it's an all-boys school. Uh, very affluent, and he wants to make this point very clear. And I think it, it's helpful for us as we work through this before we go to the next two points. Check this out. Come on. Captain, my captain. Who knows where that comes from? Anybody. (laughs) Not a clue. It's from a poem by Walt Whitman about Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Now, in this class, you can either call me Mr. Keating, or if you're slightly more daring, oh, Captain, my captain. Let me dispel a few rumors so they don't fester into fact. Yes, I too attended Helton and I survived. And no, at that time I was not the mental giant you see before you. I was the intellectual equivalent of a 98-pound weakling. I would go to the beach and people would kick copies of Byron in my face. (laughs) Now, Mr. Pitts. Rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts, where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal to page 542? 
stands of the poem you find there. To the virgins to make much of time? Yes. The one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding! Thanks for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. And I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times, but I don't think you've really looked at them. Not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. Listen real close. You can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? Good clip, huh? We are food for worms. Welcome to Desert Breeze. Yeah. You guys are going to die. Everyone here. In fact, the day that you, you spent yesterday, it's over. Never to be repeated. It's gone. Forever. In fact, you probably didn't think about this, but uh, each day is one less day you'll be here on this planet. So you got one less day after yesterday and then after today, one less day, one less day, one less day, one less day. Isn't that crazy? Makes you think a little bit. That's the reason why I think we've got to know first things first. So how to put first things first, your public life will only be as strong as your private prayer life. Your private prayer life will help you to establish first things first. Why your private prayer life help you to establish first things first? Why would that do that? Because when you are intimate with the infinite God, he will give you a current perspective of eternity. And you will begin to seize the day. I, I think that that didn't really come home to me until I was on the fire department. And oh my goodness, talk about a bloodbath. Talk about death and dyings staring you in the face day in and day out. And it created that sense of urgency within me like I had never had before. I mean, we don't think much of death until we have a close brush with it or we lose someone close to us. And then we don't even want to think about it much. We want to move on with our lives. But the reality is we're all going to die. 
And so we need to seize the day. Here's the third thing. The things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. Look at verses 38 to 39. So they come to Jesus in a panic. Everyone is looking for you, verse 38. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns. Notice what he says, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came why I came out, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus never uttered a thoughtless word, never spent a wasted day, never strayed from his father's plan. And we should be just like Jesus, terrifically busy, but only with the things we are supposed to be doing. Nothing more, nothing less. Therefore, we have to learn how to say no to a whole lot of good things so that we can be freed up to say yes to the most important things that God has for us. And here's kind of the pattern, and, and this has been very helpful for me through the years. The things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. Take a look at this verse here. It's one of your cross-references. You don't need to turn there, but let me just uh, quote it. Maybe you're familiar with it. Proverbs 4.23. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The, the Bible uses the word heart some 900 times, so it's really important. So he's saying, it. Above all else, guard your heart, because it is the what? The wellspring of life. In other words, it sets the course or the direction for your life. So if you're going to seize the day, you've got to start with your heart. That's why I started with the things you value. The things you value are the things that you love because the things that you love and the things that you value will determine how you prioritize your life and how you prioritize your life determines your practices. The things you practice is because you prioritize them and the reason why you prioritize them is, is because they're values. That's why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in essence, what it's saying is that what you treasure, your treasure, your treasure is what gets a hold of your heart. What you treasure controls your heart, and whatever controls your heart controls your behavior. So you've got to work on your, your heart, on your values. Now, if I were to come up to you and ask you, hey, is, is Jesus really important to you? You go, yes, he is. woo yeah, I've given my life to him and I'm following him. But if I were to follow you around, would your practices tell me what you're telling me? Would your priorities and practices tell me what you're telling me that you value Jesus? Too often we say, yeah, Bible study is important. Prayer is important. And going to church is important. All of these things are important, but oftentimes they're just a set faith. We're, we're practical atheists in, in a sense that we say one thing, but in reality, in our priorities and our practices, they're something totally different. So if I were to follow you around, your practices and your priorities would be consistent with your values and what you're telling me. And so if you wanted to change your practices, how many would say that you've got a few practices that you would like to like to change in your life. Show of hands. Okay. Yeah. I think we all do. I think everyone does. And uh, I mean, maybe you, maybe you don't exercise enough. Maybe you don't eat right. Maybe you don't read your Bible like you'd really want to. Or maybe you uh, don't pray. You know that you need to pray more. You know the way that you're going to be able to change all of those things? You don't change them by behavioral modification. You change them by going back to your values, by your loves. Because you may say you love God above anything, but ultimately, but ultimately, your practices and your priorities reveal something different. And so the way that you change your practices and your priorities is by changing your values. St. Augustine put it this way, the key to life change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. So, so if you want to be indeed never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, Romans 12, you've got to work on your heart. You want to lose weight? You've got to work on your heart. You've got to want it bad enough. 
I mean, whatever it might be, if you want to change something about your life, it's got to go back to the heart. It's not the acts of the will. It's the loves of the heart. And it's disordered loves that cause us more problems than anything. And so it's reordering the loves of our heart. Let me read to you something from the book that this whole series is based on. Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung's book. In the chapter here uh, called Mission Creep, that's kind of an odd uh, title, but listen to what he says. One of the most talked about essays from the past few years was entitled, Why Women Still Can't Have It All, by Anne Marie Slaughter. Miss Slaughter was working for Hillary Clinton at the State Department as the first woman director of policy planning when she realized she could not be both the professional and the parent she wanted to be. She knew she had to make a choice, and it was a choice women seem hardwired to make more than men. And this is, and then I quote from her. This is what she said from, from what she oh, he quotes from her. Here I step onto the treacherous ground, mined with stereotypes. From years of conversation and observations, however, I've come to believe that men and women respond quite differently when problems at home force them to recognize that their absence is hurting a child, or at least that their presence would likely help. I do not believe fathers love their children any less than mothers do, but men do seem more likely to choose their job at a cost to their family, while women seem more likely to choose their family at a cost to their job. End of quote. And then the writer goes on here and says, talking of slaughter, slaughter's sentiments echo those of Mary Madeline when she left her position in the Bush administration. And I quote from her now, He quotes from her, I finally asked myself, who needs me more? And that's when I realized it's somebody else's turn to do this job. I'm indispensable to my kids, but I'm not close to indispensable to the White House. End of quote. Both of these high-powered women from different sides of the political aisle concluded that no matter how much you try to lay out your future or how supportive your husband might be, you still can't have it all. Now, and this last statement is, is important because it goes along with what we're talking about here. In the real world of finite time, we often have to discern good and better from best. And that's what we have to do as it relates to our lives. The things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. If you don't like your practices, you get back to your values. You get back to your love. You stir up that appetite for God in such a way it will begin to make a difference in every aspect of your life, in your priorities, and then in your practices. Same thing goes for spending more time with your kids or whatever. By the way, we're going to talk more about that next week and how we as parents tend to freak out over our kids and how we can not be so crazy busy around our kids and give them the time that that they need. We'll talk about that next week. But as it relates to this, so the things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. And so we need to focus on disordered loves. And so that takes us to point number four. Knowing Christ and making him known is of infinite and eternal value. Disordered loves always leads to misery and breakdown. In other words, if I love anything more than I love God, that's, that's called idolatry. It's going to create a lot of problems in my life. If I love my job more than God, I'm going to probably neglect my family and my health in the pursuit of my job. I mean, you can see how it creates problems in our lives. If I love my kids more than I love you know, my spouse, that's going to create problems in the marriage. But if I love God... He's the supreme love of my life. The only way to reorder our loves is to love God supremely. Then everything else will begin to take its place. That's how I'm going to begin to bring things in order. Therefore, as I spend time with God regularly, keeping my heart full and understanding that he's the supreme love of my life, then all these other things are going to find their their way and I'm going to be able to do the first things first appropriately. Verse 35, 39, 37. So knowing Christ and making him known 
is of infinite and eternal value. So verse 35, we see that. Jesus spending time with the Father. Verse 39, what is he doing? He's proclaiming the gospel. Making, making him known. Making God known. And then in verse, verse 37, this is what I found really interesting. Now listen to this. Verse 37, everyone is looking for you. I mean, when I begin to reflect on that a little bit more, the more I realized that Simon spoke more truly than he knew. Everyone is looking for Jesus, whether you know it or not. Did you know that? Everyone is looking for Jesus, whether you know it or not. And if you miss Jesus, you're going to turn something else into Jesus. You'll look to something else to give you the hope, the meaning, the purpose in life that only he can give you. Listen to me. No one, no one has ever loved you more. And no one will ever, ever, ever love you more than Jesus. And when that reality goes from your head to your heart, it's revolutionary. Knowing Christ and making him known is of infinite and eternal value. Jesus had that in his life. Therefore, he was able to say no to the appropriate things and yes to the things that he needed to say yes to. And that's how we're going to be able to do it. Philippians 1.21, Paul put it this way, to live is, anybody know? Is Christ, to live is Christ. Fill in the blank. What would you say? If someone followed you around based on your priorities and practices, what would they say? To live is, well, you spend a lot of money on time with your car. <laughs> or, wow, you like to watch TV. You spend hours watching TV or you're really into the latest movies or yours is the music or yours is your bank account, saving money. To live is having plenty of money in my bank account for, for Paul. And if you knew Jesus, you would say, as Paul says here, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In fact, when you read on in that same letter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he basically says, I mean, he goes through this whole list of of accomplishments and accolades and, and achievements. And he basically says it's all worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. I mean, it would almost be as if he would say, Congressional Medal of Honor, worthless. Worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus. Super Bowl ring, worthless compared to knowing Jesus. All the riches of a Warren Buffett, billionaire, worthless. Compared to knowing Jesus. All the brains of a Steve Jobs, all the quarterback brilliance of a Peyton Manning is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. In fact, even Jesus put it this way in Mark 4.36. What good is it if you gain the whole world but do what? Lose your soul. Lose your soul. So I, mean, so I was grappling with all of this as I was working through this. So, okay. Okay, seize the day. Make your life count. What does that mean? What does it mean not to waste my life? What does it mean to really make my life count? And, and my understanding of Scripture is that you pursue anything more than you pursue Christ, and you have wasted your life. All the money in the world doesn't even come close. There's an interesting uh, parable by Jesus. It's called the rich fool found in Luke 12. And this is a guy that was mega wealthy and he kept building bigger barns to, to put all of his product in and, and kept building bigger barns and so that he just began to stockpile all this stuff. And, and in fact, in the text it says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, you fool. I mean, this guy has the American dream. I mean, that's what everybody's chasing after. In fact, I've, I've been to many funerals where people were, wow, look at what they had. And yet I couldn't help but think that God was probably saying about this person's life because he didn't know him, nor did he make him known in and through his life full, full this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So here's my question for you. Are you rich toward God? So the things you value, you prioritize. The things you prioritize, you practice. You're going to begin to see it in your life. If Jesus is really important, if indeed you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If it is true, the things we value, we prioritize, and the things we prioritize, we practice, then, then what would be the practices of people who believe that knowing Christ and making him known is of infinite and eternal value? I mean, what do you think? What do you think? What would that look like? Let me, let me have you do this. We're almost finished. Turn to the person next to you and just see if they could come up with a couple things. What would that look like in a person's priorities and practices? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. And then I'm going to give you the answer that I came up with. And then we'll, we're going to end the service. Real quick, do that. So what did you guys come up with? Anything come to mind? So, so the question is, so what would be the practices of people who believe that knowing Christ and making him known is of infinite, infinite and eternal value? That you would rather have him than anything in your life. What, what came to mind? Anything? Yell out to me. What do you guys think? Not all at once. Okay. Yeah, okay. Be more about others than yourself. Yeah, you'd be more focused on the needs of others than other people. Anything else? What else? What's that? Golden rule. Yeah, they're going to be living by God's word. What else comes to mind? Sandra? Ooh, I like that. Investing your money in the kingdom. Investing your money in... Anything else come to mind as you thought about that? Because th- these are things that we need to think about. If I'm going to seize the day, and I began to grapple with this this last week, if I'm going to seize the day, life is, time is running out, if I truly value Jesus above everything, knowing him, making him known, infinite and eternal value, if Jesus said to this guy, you're a fool, yeah, big deal, you got a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, big deal. Your name is on the side of a building. Big deal. You gave your money to a lot of poor folks. But if you don't know me and you didn't make me known, that's what he's saying. You are not rich towards me. That's what he's saying in essence. Are you rich towards God? What are you doing with your life? That's it's pretty convicting for me as I begin to work through this. Misery loves company. I want to share that conviction with you this morning. I mean, I was thinking through that. I'm going, man, that's the last thing I want to do. And this is stuff I've worked through my whole life. I've been grappling with this, grappling with God. Am I, am I making much of you? Am I living my life for your glory? Or is this just all about me? Is it all about me or is it, all, is it really truly all about you and how I'm living out my life? And as I, if you're the value, the highest value of my life, do my priorities and my practices represent that? And I I believe they are in my own life more so than ever before. And it's only because I've never been more smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the key. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for me to spend hours in prayer, just intimacy with God. I just, I, I love it. I just absolutely love it. And there were, you know, years ago that I just, it was hard for me to pray. But the reason why I can spend that time with God... It's because I just, man, I just, I just love him. I love spending time with him. There was a time when I had a hard time giving, giving financially. And man, it's just, it's effortless nowadays. It's just like, I want to help everybody and every, and I think it's because the God has gotten a hold of my heart. I believe that's, that's what you're going to see in, in someone's life. You will be, and I put this down, you will be radically generous with your time and money to know God and make him known both in your local church family and in your everyday life. I think it's just, you're just going to see it. See, if giving a few hours of your time to, to church or to help out a neighbor or to do any of those things or, or to give of your money. In fact, by the way, let me just say this. I don't often repeat this enough, but I need to uh, probably need to. We, we teach it in our game of life and talk about it. But uh, throughout the Bible, 10% is the rule of thumb for giving. It's commended by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. So if, if giving a few hours and then giving that 10% as the Bible kind of establishes, and actually I believe it actually speaks of more than that, uh, tithes, offerings, alms. But if that sounds outrageous to you, then Christ is not real to your heart. That's all it's saying. And uh, you may believe in him, but he is not of infinite and eternal value to you. And that's, that's what, and so the way that you get back that, and that's why uh, I was raised in an environment where they would just beat people up 
just uh, use a lot of fear and pride to motivate. And that's not what this is about. This just is, is to, man, I, I, I want more than anything that you would encounter um, the God who came to this earth and died for you. He gave his all for you. And so it's just normal for you to want to live your whole life for him. Listen to what Piper says. John Piper from Don't Waste Your Life. I went through that, but it's a great book if you want to pick up a good book on that, on that topic. Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper. He says, the greatest cause in the world is joyfully rescuing people from hell, meeting their earthly needs, making them glad in God, and doing it with the kind of serious pleasure that makes Christ look like the treasure he is. Jim Elliott. How many are familiar with the name Jim Elliott? He was a martyred missionary. They found this in his journal after he had died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. What is it that we cannot keep? We're not, we can't keep our money. We can't keep our time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And here's a statement that my mom used to tell us kids regularly. I grew up hearing this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Stand with me for closing prayer. Let's pray. Father God, nothing, nothing is more soul-satisfying than a life that is, that is God-glorifying. So may we not waste our lives on anything less. In response to what you have spoken to us this morning as we head into a brand new week, we commit ourselves to stronger private prayer May we often withdraw to lonely places and pray as Jesus did so that we can be stronger in our, in our public life by putting first things first, saying no to those things that, that waste our lives and yes to those things that invest our lives in the infinite and eternal value of knowing you and making you known to this lost and dying world for your glory and our satisfaction. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.